Welcome back to The Underdogs, a podcast dedicated to covering the twists, turns, laughs, and tears of the Emmy Award-winning Apple TV series, Ted Lasso. This is a podcast. In each episode, we do overviews of the show. We talk about things that happen in it, on and off the pitch. There was no pitch in this one, so it's all off the pitch. We can do pub trivia, and we give three-word match reviews. You should enjoy it. Oh, wow. I'm pretty... Pretty straightforward there, huh, Dave? <laughs> Mr. Matter-of-factly here. Uh, but look, today we are covering Season 3, Episode 6, Sunflowers. This episode had a lot of hype for the past year, and I'm not sure anyone knew how great it was going to be, but wow, it, it really delivered. And you can deliver. You, the listener, can deliver to us. Uh, if you want to go on and give us a five-star review, rate and review the show, leave us a nice little comment. That would just be fantastic. Engage with us on social media at pod underdogs. Uh, we'd love to, to continue the conversation. And there is plenty of conversation around this episode. It was a, it was a long, strange trip that we went on here, Brandon. So let's get into it. Interesting wording. So anyways, uh, I guess we'll kick it off with the three word episode review. Um, first is the best. So I went with red light surprises. <laughs> Uh, it was not the red light district I thought we were going to get, but it's still okay. It's it's all good, Dan. What about you? Well, considering that you thought yours was the best, I think we're going to have to change the song name to Brandon Doesn't Know, but mine <laughs> has a reference to the 2004 Smash Sensation hit, Not That Euro Trip. Oh, no. With oh, one of the no. best Matt Damon cameos of all time. But look, this was uh, it was, was their Euro trip. This was an opportunity to get outside of London and experience a little bit more of what the world has to offer. Mine is aptly named and uh, features in the show. Let's get lost. A little uh, homage to Chet Baker. Why not? Hmm. All right. Well, hey, uh, Nick, you write the script. You messed it up. Explain to people why we're not doing the huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's basically every week, right? We could just start it that way. Uh, we're going to do something different with this script. Obviously, everyone who watched this uh, episode knows that this was not a standard Ted Lasso episode. It was all over the place, tons of narratives interwoven. And so instead of doing the on the pitch, off the pitch sort of standard setup that we know you know and love, uh, we're going on a bit of our trip ourselves. And we're going to follow around the main groups that featured in the show and how they found their state of Chezelig. How about that? You like that pronunciation? You gonna do that? You gonna, gonna do it? Give it, right s- now. give it some room to breathe. Come let, on. let it, let it have its space. <laughs> uh, uh, Brendan Hunt tweeting uh, as this one came out. Sunflowers, aka episode three or six of Ted Lasso, is out now. It sets, it's set in Amsterdam, the city without which this show would not exist. It's also our longest episode ever. Apparently, I think you'll find that it doesn't suck with the capture. Trust me. It, is is he? Is he not after my own heart or what? It doesn't suck. That's a great way to frame up an episode. Absolutely love it. Well, I mean, maybe maybe it rubbed off on him when uh, you guys were rubbing shoulders at the bar in KC. Did we? I don't know. Did uh, you? Did, did I buy him a drink, perhaps? Did yeah. Brandon and I step back so that Nick could take the opportunity himself? Yes. Yes, well, we did. It would have been weird with three people there just kind of crowding him out. But uh, I, I will say, for those who don't know... Um, when when he says without the the city without which the show would not exist, him Jason a bunch of other comedians lived in Amsterdam for a while, and this is where the concept for the show came to life. And it's clear, uh, Dan, that this is a love letter to a city that they all have a great fondness for. And I thought it was a very cool 
uh, way to kind of position that. Well, not only that, we were there recently. Nick and yeah. I and uh, my, my lovely wife were getting a chance to enjoy the many faces of Amsterdam <laughs> as we navigated through different weather that we anticipated to enjoy the city. And yeah, it was nice to be. I always, I don't know. I always enjoy an episode where you can tell where it was filmed and start to like look for areas or locations and try to draw additional significance out of like why is it at this location or this area and that to me made this maybe made the connection for the episode a little bit more special. Yeah, it was it was really cool. Uh you know, we were only there like a month and a half ago, so it's, it's still pretty fresh in memory, but uh, another cool thing, Brandon some of our uh, some of our favorite cast and crew actually watched the episode live at two a.m. UK uh, to to take it all in. Tell us who they are. Well, that's right. Uh, you've got Colin, Trent Krim, and El Capitan taking it in, which it looks like from a love sack. I can't tell. They're they're all <laughs> squeezed of, in yeah. there. <laughs> Trent looking just the same as Trent always looks. Um, you know, purple pants, red striped shirt, and uh, a nice little cap, a nice wool cap of sorts. So, you know what? Very cool to see that they stayed up. There there was a lot of buzz around this one, guys. Everyone knows that. Uh, you know, the, the not-so-subtle hits to Amsterdam throughout the first few episodes of the season. And the, uh, the cast and crew were everywhere on social to promote this one. I think they all loved it. I think we all loved it. So, very excited to chat about this one. All right. Well, uh, to kick it off, episode six starts out with our beleaguered Richmond squad playing a very high-profile midseason friendly against Dutch powerhouse Ajax, and they lost five nothing, continuing their woes. While this isn't typical for a Premier League side midseason, it has happened before, and most importantly, it's our vehicle to get the team to the magical multicultural metropolis of Amsterdam. So, after hearing Three Little Birds by Bob Marley and learning how to say Johan Cruyff. I, nice. I still can't do it uh, properly. We're off on the longest, strangest trip of TV since Beard After Hours. Is every little thing going to be all right? Time will only tell, but we're going to take our ad break when we're back. Ted and Beard, the one-two punch. Thank you to the sponsors. We'll be right back. All right. Ted and Beard start the episode by taking stock of a clearly depressed mood on the bus. Beard pushes Ted to think about the team. How can he snap out of it, Nick? He's got to play in his pocket. He knows what to do. <laughs> yeah, Beard. I uh, think you can only get these guys out of their pineapple percussions. Uh, so that's that's uh, Beard's way of kind of egging Ted on with a little pun. And then Ted hits him back with doldrums. Nice. And then he goes to the group and says, yeah, I'm going to say something. Hey, fellas, I'm about to say three words no coach ever says <laughs> unless he dang well means it. And those three words are no curfew tonight. Let's rage. Well, <laughs> that's that's what you would have thought would have happened. But uh, Ted and Beard elected to let him go off. Don't have to see him until the next morning. Um, but then they kind of figure out that Ted probably needs this more than than even the players. And, and Beard recognized that being his friend. Uh, back at the hotel, Dan, Beard, and Ted are looking to go out on the town. Ted is texting Rebecca. But we all know she doesn't respond and uh, tries to see what she's up to, <clears throat> Ted Becca. So Beard <laughs> is educating Ted on how much of an influence Johan Cruyff was. Ted is in a funk. And Beard helps him get out of it. Well, I mean, the really interesting thing here, there's a lot of things to pick apart. The fact that when the message goes from blue to green and you're sending messages, 
You know that the person's cellular service is not available. No need to continue texting. Little too thirsty from Ted in that moment for (laughs) attention and affection. Other thing, 2.7 stars. Ted Lasso, come on. I knew you, you have were to have hit some this. type of standard. This is ridiculous. This is one of the most unbelievable parts <laughs> of the entire series that someone has calibrated themselves to say that 2.7 is an acceptable stop on a night out with no curfew. I don't believe it, Nick. Hey, Anthony Bourdain, chill out, yeah? Um, look, I knew that was going to get you, by the way. I knew the 2.7 stars was going to set you the hell off. Um, yeah, I love, I love that beard, like pops out from behind the wall and goes, I think we could do better than that. But it, it looks like, you know, Ted's just not all there. Right. Says, I don't know what's going on with me, coach. It's, it's like, I'm feeling stuck on something, you know, like I need to do something to help me get out of my head, like get punched in the face or drink a couple bottles of red wine and yell at my mom. And I just want to try something new, help me get inspired. Beard lights up. I've been waiting for you to say those words for a very long time. (laughs) Yeah, he's got uh, a bit of an elixir, travels with magic mushrooms, because he's not going to pay to have them be taxed. (laughs) No way. He brings it on his own and uh, makes a little tea. Uh, Funny exchange here from Ted. says, you know I've always been more of a beer man or uh, Sour Patch Kids. Beer's like, Sour Patch Kids don't form literal new pathways in your brain. Picture a sheet of fresh white snow covering all the footsteps of all the paths that you've trod before, forcing you, nay, encouraging you to begin anew. And how's it taste, Ted? And then Beard says, disgusting. So most people put it in peanut butter and jelly or yogurt. And which one are we doing? Neither. We're doing tea. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> it just, just absolutely devolved from there. Uh, and then Beard immediately begins uh, to chug it. He says, I don't say this often enough because I generally think it's implied, but trust me, this is how you change your mind. And and it does, right? I mean, they go on this little journey. Uh, Beard starts pretty aggressively here, Dan, by uh, by basically slamming it, which is a, a very interesting. Just it's really great. Unbelievable way, but Ted can't do it. Well, and then he, he gets to the point where he starts uh, feeling the chair a little bit, you know, he's doing the... <laughs> Early jitters, right, for those of us who maybe have imbibed in, you know, uh, maybe some some grassy highs in the past, you know, the first time that you kind of do anything, it uh, definitely puts you into some different spaces or places in the way that you react, and we get to see Beard go through his process, and, you know, it just puts us in a position where Brandon then starts to set a little bit of a divergent path between the two. Yeah, no, absolutely does. Um, you know, they, they're sitting there and uh, at the absolute hint of an opportunity from, from Ted, uh, Beard is gone. Ted's still trying to text Rebecca. Um, it's not really working, so he's not really sure what to do. Uh, it's hilarious, though, how well uh, Beard already had backup plans. And he's just stuck watching the the Dutch dubbed over version of Keeley's Hotel uh, video. Of course, they're going to bring that back from that was uh, great. Liverpool. Huh. Hey, who's more international? Pitbull or Keely? I don't know. I don't know anymore. Conventions have been shattered. A lot of people stay in hotels. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Many yeah. people are saying Keely is the face of national hotel trains everywhere. 
It's a good gig, but probably pretty good royalties on that. Anyways, Ted heads to the museum, uh, has a bit of a magical encounter while looking at a Van Gogh uh, work of art, doesn't he, Nick? He does. There, there's a museum. You know, he's, he stood there, and, and the implication is that he's high off his ass, right? That he's in a different state of mind. Museum clerk looks at him and says, one doesn't expect to get from life what one has already learned. It cannot give. Rather, one begins to see life. Uh, see that life is a kind of sowing t- is kind of sowing time and the harvest is not yet here uh they're looking at another van gogh he was just a humble preacher's son and yet and yes he had his demons but they never truly stopped him from searching for beauty because when you find beauty you find inspiration if that is you stay as determined as vincent never stop no matter how many failures when you know you're doing what you're meant to do you have to try and this is a encapsulation of what Henry's told Ted, what Rebecca's told Ted, what Beard has told Ted. This is the, you know, so far this, the theme of the the whole show here, Dan, is like Ted has to go for it. He has to try because this is what he's meant to do. Yeah, it it's a really interesting space to put him in where they're throwing all the standard signs of being being on a trip, being on a journey um and and, you know shows try to do this in a lot of different ways right like the the focus on the eyes and pupil dilation the over over excited or underexcited types of emotional responses framing words or using words incorrectly uh in response to things and so they definitely go through some things again to put you in a position that like ted is finally opened up because he is on a bit of a assisted process at the moment to try to work through some things. It's just haven't been able to break through the surface. Like the, the, the natural frost has not given way. And this is the way for what's underneath the surface to finally punch through into the top. It was a, it was a cool scene too, for those who are Dr. Who fans, because there is a incredibly famous and emotional scene in Dr. Who where they, uh, are looking at Van Gogh, looking at his own work in real time, and it's a very cool thing. So, very nice little thing if you if you like that show. Well, thank God Ted found his way to Yankee Doodle Burger Barn, uh, <laughs> where he actually had the trippiest of trippy experiences. Actually, an out of body experience. America doesn't feel like home, but there are elements that make him feel nostalgic. In '90s Chicago Bulls game is on. Ted has onion rings, a great tower. It's well constructed with an American flag on top. Uh, but that's not the only reason. He says to the the, the server, I bet you a thousand bucks the Bulls will win 107 to 86. I'm just kidding. I remember watching this game as a kid with my dad. Yeah, I used to love watching basketball with him. And then, and then it hits home. It's almost like it reminds me, Nick, of the Rebecca scenes where like the the green matchbook, right? Mm-hmm. And then the the comment about this and the comment of that. When she brings the bottle of barbecue sauce, because it's like a list, right? There's like dozens on there. And she happens to bring him the one from Kansas City without any pushing her towards that at all. It just hits him like a Mack truck. Why'd you bring me this one? Because it's the best one. And and so he, you know, this is obviously him paying uh, tribute to, to his hometown, a town in which I live uh, and have been to Arthur Bryant's before. Uh, but he begins to take note with with the game on of the triangle offense, right? The famous Chicago Bulls, Phil Jackson, Ted Tex Winter uh, offense that basically made the Bulls unstoppable 
in addition to having some of the best players in the world for as long as they were. And he begins to go through Dan, uh, what I'm calling a mind palace moment, but that I think you had a better phrasing for it, where he gets kind of pulled out and starts to see the world differently. Yeah, it, it felt very similar to like a stage show or a stage production where someone is going through a monologue or a soliloquy where they're processing through the internal emotion or internal thoughts in a way that frames them out of the normal conversation. And, you know, it felt very, uh, you know, uh, without the, the beats behind it, but like Schoolhouse Rock and some of the uh, the interpretations or the visualizations. I don't know. I, I, I thought it was great. It was lighted extremely well. It was or extremely well lit. It had a great kind of cadence to it, and it felt very showsy in a way that was still acceptable within the bounds of, like, Ted Lasso. Like, I talked to friends and family who, who don't necessarily dig some of the same types of media that I do, and they enjoyed, like, this element in this scene, which tells me that, like, it wasn't too out of bounds relative to maybe some other things the show has tried before in being able to be, you know, absorbed by the common viewer. Three things about this scene. First is that the other time that we've seen this sort of treatment was Beard After Hours last year, right? With the kind of trippy, different things happen around. Second is Ted at one point says to the voice that's kind of emanating around him, oh yeah, you're right. And the voice goes, no, you're right. And so that was a huge indication of kind of where he was and what he was supposed to be doing. And then finally, the... The thing for me that was uh, funny is like if you watch Loki, the first season of Loki on Disney Plus, there's a TVA scene that kind of walks along a timeline that's kind of similar to this too. And I just thought all of that was such a it was such a well done scene, Brandon. You get to see the coaching come back into his eyes. The, the fire is lit a little bit. You get to see the movement, and he looks like he's back a little bit. You know. Yeah, I'm, as it was happening, they're talking about the triangles. I like paused it and I was talking to my wife. And I was like, oh, I see where this is going. And I was ex educating, like, triangles is very common. Soccer tactics as well. Like, you're always trying to create triangles, create passing lanes is what we say. And I was like, I bet this is the thing that's going to give him his mojo back. And uh, obviously, he was, uh, um, you know, can we talk about the fact that he called the pyramid technically three triangles? I mean, a, tr a triangle can usually be multiple triangles inside but of a, a pyramid. Triangle. Don't they usually have four sides, not three? You're you're not wrong. Anyways, not just thought right. I could like I don't catch details. Caught that one, <laughs> um, but yeah. And so, and I'm like, all right, well, here we go. I'll be really interested to see what Ted comes back from this uh, when the when the pitch comes back into scene. But uh, yeah. Super important, you know. He's he's just you know scribbling tactics in the sunflower notebook, um, and uh, you can see he's lit up. He's inspired. He's motivated again. And uh, just because you lock the doors doesn't mean Ted's leaving. <laughs> I love I love the little server moment where they're like, he still has your pen, and then there's like their their boss is gonna make him make you take that other check or whatever and they just like lament their own boss i thought that was a really funny scene i also love the ketchup and mustard bottles as his like lineup on the table like this is just a really well crafted way of showing that ted's breaking out of whatever funk he was in and uh long may it continue because i think we 
I think we've seen enough of him down the dumps, you know? Very true. Very, very true. Boring Ted is not the one. Rebecca. Wow. We got a journey <laughs> for Rebecca. So uh, after the match, Rebecca asked Higgins and Keeley, a.k.a. the Brain Trust, where they are going for a night out in Amsterdam. Keeley reluctantly tells Rebecca that she's off to see the Aurora Borealis with Jack on a private plane. And Higgins proclaims that he has a date with the infamous Red Light District with a very special person and just walks off with a smile on his face. <laughs> nah. And I was like, Elizabeth... I think this is not going to be what we think it is. Uh, but, yeah, so Rebecca, solo dolo. She's riding alone again. Uh, second episode. She's She's got nobody left. Her friends have left her. So she goes on a walk around Amsterdam. Good for her to at least get out there, right, instead of going back to the hotel and just sit there. Sassy calls her. says her intuition that she's struggling. She said, no, 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 no. But that's really not what happens. Uh, how does it go, Dan? Well, you get a little bit of the, I'm out having a stroll on my own in Amsterdam, completely unburdened, have you got my bag with me? It might be a problem. And then the, oh right, Amsterdam, I forgot, uh, jealous, well, eat a space cake for me and uh, call me when you freak out. Which, uh, Nick, space cakes are a thing. They're real. They are real. We can confirm that. Um, now, we, we may or may not know anything about those things, um, specifically on a boat. I mean, there's plenty of opportunities within Amsterdam to do a thing if that is what you choose to do. That's all we're going to say about that. I mean, I could read the description here if you want. But um, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, Rebecca does the one thing you can't do in Amsterdam. Which one of you did it? Don't lie. <laughs> all of us. <laughs> we <laughs> fucked this up big time. You, We we did not know when we got to Amsterdam that that bikes were right of way in every single facet no no pedestrians no cars no trams bikes the calibration period is is really rough <laughs> it's a very very steep learning curve when to like okay let me judge the difference of space let me figure out how fast they're going let me figure out if everybody is actually going to walk with me behind me they're because flying. then i'm going to head mid intersection yeah it's uh, it's a bit of a mess so i understand where rebecca is coming from her fatal flaw here, though, is she was on the phone in the bike lane. Like, if you're in the bike lane, you're just kind of not figuring things out. You're not going to have people as mad at you as the way they were with her. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that is true. I'm sure uh, it was a little bit different. Uh, so anyways, like, ends up in a boathouse of all places, right? And very serendipitous, right, as he tries to get her attention. It all goes to shit. Um, but he seems quite hospitable after a quick shower. Uh, she's noticeably alone on this houseboat. Her clothes are nowhere to be dry. The classic two hours and 49 minute timer on the tiny, tiny dryer the inside the kitchen. I'm, I'm kind of surprised he had one. Um, so she kind of looks around a little bit. Uh, she's calm despite everything that has happened. The houseboat's cozy and the kids rooms brings her immense joy. Her guard is down for the first time. I think really all season. Definitely. Um, it was interesting. Uh, you know, the, the, we're calling him Dutch boat guy. We never, we never get a name in the episode. Um, uh, so, but it was cool because this is actually a Dutch actor and there are many Dutch actors that were brought into this. And I think the, the casting crew got a ton of credit for, for utilizing local talent in this one, but Dutch boat guy, it is, uh, he's back and he's respectfully kind of given her time and space, without being around. He doesn't want to make it awkward or whatever. 
uh, but notices that she's about to bleed all over his floor, Dan, and uh, and fixes her up. That was, that was kind of a cool thing. Yeah, it's interesting because, uh, you know, he also kind of indicates that uh, as he's like applying the, uh, you know, they call it the plaster, but the Band-Aid that, uh, you know, he, he does the kiss moment because he's used to, you know, taking care of obviously a younger child. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, it, you know, there's all this like awkward getting to know you type of thing that's happening on a very compressed timeline. And it's really making things very, the, the viewer who's watching and wondering like, how is this going to evolve? And then for the actual characters in the scene, except uh, Dutch Boat Guy. Dutch Boat Guy is completely cool. Yeah. He offers her a drink, again, trying to be hospitable. She's a little gun shy on that one, uh, but realizes the tiny dryer won't have her clothes ready for a while. So uh, he offers dinner. Now she's convinced. Is this new love interest? It's a game of cat and mouse. That is for sure. Dutch Boat, goes, Dutch boat Guy goes, please change. We'll eat and then you'll go. All right. Again, Dutch, so matter of fact. <laughs> Just straight, straight yeah. laced all the way. And after dinner, I can give you a foot massage. Wait, what? Like, we just went from me leaving to a foot massage. She goes, absolutely not. He goes, are you sure my technique is sound? Oh, oh, I'm sure it is, but I will pass, says Rebecca. He says, okay, then, fine. Uh, stand there with tired feet, completely sober. It does not affect me at all. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great, it was a really cool scene. Like, she is used to being the dominant personality in any interaction that she's in, right? And Ted is so affable in most of these interactions that he doesn't really ever push back or anything. This guy is like looking her dead in the eyes and saying, I'm on your level and I'm not budget. And she, I mean, Dan, it was like a cool, like, Oh shit. Uh, I, I legitimately have a, a player at my level here. It's, it was, it was nice. Yeah, all it took was, you know, completely getting drenched in the water, having to basically have any connection or guard item that Rebecca could use as a defense mechanism has been completely taken away in this moment to allow that type of emotional exposure to begin. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really going interesting. Like I said, I mean, we, like, you knew it was coming. She's on the bridge, and he, like, yells at her. You're like, all right. But, like, I think the way that this kind of goes is is very different, uh, which is great. Uh, it was hilarious watching with Elizabeth when she was going through the clothes as well. <laughs> Getting, like, uh, a female's opinion was was quite funny. Yeah. I, I, I This was also the third part of the psychic's vision, right, that she was going to be drenched and that someone was going to save her. Um, and so if you've been paying attention to that all season, like, that kind of completes the, the triangle of that thing. Um, but they're, they're having dinner or whatever, and she's getting changed and Rebecca so goes, should, should I be worried about some giant Dutch woman wandering on here and strangling me for wearing her clothes? Uh, Dutch boat guy goes, uh, thing, you know, no, things are over between us have been for some time. So don't worry. She was unfaithful. I loved her very much. So it wrecked me and I came dangerously close to destroying our family on it. But then with time, I realized that this thing didn't happen to me. It happened for me. And boy, does that sound like someone that we know. That sounds like Rebecca, doesn't it? So uh, very uh, interesting moment there, Dan, where I think she realized uh, the manifestation of what he was saying was her. Well, not only does that happen, but then the guard is coming down, right? Like every every moment, more guard coming down, more guard coming down, more guard coming down. And then we get 
Dutch Kenny Rogers going back in. <laughs> <laughs> and Rebecca gets to use the pipes once more. Yep. Yeah, we had it with Frozen, and then they realize, you know what? We can't contain this. We can't not take advantage of this skill set that she brings. We're going to find an opportunity for you to sing again this season. There we go. Yeah. The the back and forth between these two is is it's good, and uh, I think the music definitely kind of clicked it all together, right? Um, he's explained the concept of Nick Hazelig. Yep, to Rebecca, which is foreign and more than one way to her. She asks, "What does that mean?" He says, "What? Uh, oh, I don't know. Uh, it's it's Gusleg." He's like, "There's no direct English translation. I think it it means cozy, like a warm fire." But you can also keep your mind guessed to leg. Uh, you know, your heart, your soul, the people you're with, the places you go. And I'm sure that that one probably hit home a little bit because it's not a thing. It's a feeling. Brandon, just say it really quick. Hezeleg. Nope. Not a, not a hard G. Hezeleg. More, more of an H. Hezeleg. Hezeleg. There you go. I'm proud um, of you. The dryer yeah. buzzed though, Nick. But why they not just... Ready. They weren't exactly. ready to stop, baby. Let's just dump a little water on there and keep. By the way, you don't have to dump the water on it and redry it. You could just leave it in the dryer and have dinner, right? Like that seems like a not dramatic enough. It doesn't match <laughs> right? the moment, Nick. Yeah, it's uh, okay. Uh, yeah, so everything is good. She falls asleep to a foot massage. He tucks her in and lets her sleep. Next morning, Rebecca and Dutch boat guy have an awkward discussion about whether they, well, did the business or not. They did not. Rebecca looks relieved and doesn't stay for breakfast. She truly appreciates Dutch boat guy and says she'll never forget him. She means it. He thinks they're in love. It was kind of a touching little moment. Um, and, you know, it was, it was kind of a fun exit out, you know, of what could have been a pretty awkward situation. Like she's been gone this entire time on this dude's boat. And we just got to kind of see her chill out for a day, which probably hasn't happened in years because she's so high no wired. No phone, so. no distractions, no. no comparing her situation to other people's. She was just present in the moment. In this like very small, not at all luxurious place. Yeah. It's awesome. All right, great. Uh, Roy and Jamie. Uh, after blowing off the post-match interview for Keeley, Roy asked Rebecca where Keeley is running off to. Rebecca, playing the role of big sister, absolutely lands a knockout punch to his already fractured ego. He says, where's she going? Rebecca goes, somewhere that believes that, they, or somewhere that believes they deserve her. It's a, it's Sorry, a tough Roy. look for our guy, Roy. <laughs> yeah. A, yeah, she uh, she buried him pretty good on that one. Uh, and I, he felt I, it. You saw it in his face, too. <laughs> like, good acting in that situation. Um. Yeah, uh, punched the picture of Zava and then headed onto the team bus. Roy and Jamie. Um, did he do, wait? Wait, did he just punch it or did he unleash on it? Because I feel did. like that was multiple shots. That was yeah. not just one knock and then gone. Understandable, uh, if we're being honest. Um, but yeah, so they get on the bus, the team get the curfew, and uh, Jamie's excited. I mean, he's almost like leading the celebration, and Roy's like, "Nope, we're out, we're going," because he is pissed. Yeah, he's, you know what, he's he takes his anger out on Jamie and not for the first time. This is a pretty consistent no. theme of the show. Don't know if you picked that up. Uh, and Jamie immediately takes him on a training tour of Amsterdam. And Dan, I think for you and I, this was hilarious and fun because we've seen and heard all of these things. We did a, a canal boat tour together and heard a lot of the, the cool parts about the city. And 
this is like for me anyway the most positive energetic effusive version of jamie that we've ever seen um he knows everything about the city and i don't know how you guys feel but i think this was jamie not letting roy get to him basically out positing his his entire negative ethos just so much of jamie's personality has been unveiled in like the past couple episodes this season within some of the references he's made the fact that he was pointing out the bench from the fault of our stars the movie not the book <laughs> to be very specific about this just some really like witty lines coming from him that are so perfect for him and just so unassuming it's the way that they just let him they show him in a way that he's enjoying himself in football in a way that he hasn't before in the show. Whereas he contrasts to Roy, who Roy is like not enjoying the football, not enjoying himself, not enjoying being in his own person. And so he has to try to cause any type of collateral damage he can. And Jamie, who previously would have been very affected by things like this, has built up a massive guard against this. He doesn't like is you know, the, the mountain to a fly. Like, it just doesn't, like, he doesn't concern himself with this situation. Yeah, you want to go train? Fuck it. Let's train the most. And I'm going to be the most annoying version of, of myself. And it was, it was so great. First of all, we love these two in, on camera together. And we got a shit ton of it in this episode. And it was fucking brilliant. And you get to see a ton of really interesting relationship building happening between these guys. Not only is it hilarious, but it's it's pretty heartfelt too, Brandon. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Um, I am pretty impressed, like you guys said. I mean, he j Jamie's just embracing it, and it's just like, all right, if this is what it takes, like, I'm in. Um, but yeah, Jamie led it. It's funny, Roy, uh, Roy is an actor. He runs rather stiff. Jamie looks far more athletic and kind of flexible. I don't know if that was on purpose because Roy's older, but obviously they stop because of his knee and how it's sore. Uh, and Roy goes, how do you know so much about here? Jamie says, it's Amsterdam. How do you not? <laughs> okay. Roy said, never been here in my life. Jamie, what? Never? No? Not, not one stag party? Roy, no. Not one international match? No. Not one emergency flight diverted because some easy jet passenger was being a prick? That never happens. It does. It does happen. If you're being enough of a prick, which I was. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. I mean... If you didn't see that coming, come on. Uh, you haven't been paying attention. But Roy is so pissed off. He doesn't even think that the windmills are real. He thinks this is like a Disney set of a town. And so Jamie, light bulb moment. We get to see the old ticker at work. Let's hop on these infamous bikes and go around Amsterdam and try and find ourselves a goddamn windmill. And, uh, you know, Jamie is Jamie. So he gets a homeless guy to steal two bikes, which in Amsterdam... It's like capital crime. You never fucking do that. Um, and and they go. And we realize in that moment that Roy does not know how to ride a bike, which you have to suspend disbelief because he's seen riding a stationary bike at uh, a training in season one. So That's different. That's yeah. way different. I Dan, mean, he's got to do the balancing act. But why does he not know how to ride a bike? Roy gives us the run through that when he went to Sunderland 
My granddad told me he'd teach me how to ride when I came back for Christmas. Then he fucking died. <laughs> and I haven't been on a bike since. And now I'm saying it out loud. I realize never learning was actually great disrespect to his memory. And now I feel ashamed. So can we stop talking about it and go back to just me taking out my negative emotions on you, even if you deserve it or not? Go on, Roy, for granddad. That That's a, just a hell of a moment between these two uh, former arch rivals turned friends. Question mark? Friends? Yeah. Can you ima- can you imagine these two like recording the scene of Roy trying to learn? Like Jamie's being an absolute hero and Roy's <laughs> just being an absolute donkey about this. The, the fall takes were great. That's real. Oh. That's real comedic effort that right poor there. Poor stunt man to take that oh. on the hip on the asphalt. Ugh. Jamie is now Roy's coach though. Like yep. that was the the fascinating part of him, this one. Being oh. patient, dealing with them. How, my, how the turntables have turned on this one. Uh, but he finally gets it, as you'd assume. Like, we don't have all night, Roy. Figure it out. This episode's already long. And so they go in search of the windmill. Uh, while having some friendly banter along the way, these guys have seriously grown up. And potentially friends at this point. Jamie discloses that he knows so much about Anderson because he came here with his dad. And then he came with his mom. I would say very different experiences, we should clarify. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, but yeah, still a lot of resentment from his dad. Roy apologizes and dis- discloses that Keeley has a girlfriend. Uh, and again, just like the Jamie-ness of this, when he's talking about how he lost his virginity and Roy trying to be very <laughs> empathetic to him, he's like, oh, that must have been that must have been traumatic. He goes, no, it was great for her. <laughs> oh, me. <laughs> God. No, I loved it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He has that like cognitive dissonance where it's like, yeah, that should have been a shitty experience, but I don't care because my brain doesn't really think like other people's do. Right. Uh, but it, it's, you know, Roy's opened up. Jamie's opened up. They've been training for now 12 straight fucking hours uh, doing all this stuff. I have no idea how that was a thing. And you know what? There's a there's a lot of there there uh, between these two uh, these two guys. And I absolutely loved it. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, very good between those two. Uh, but I'm really interested to see where it kind of goes from here because, I mean, what, are they just going to be friends the rest of the season? I don't know. Something, Something's going to come up. The 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 duo that we probably weren't ready for uh, was Colin and Trent. Maybe we we're ready for another coming together of the two, but probably not this way. So after making up an excuse to leave the team, Colin sneaks out to go out by himself. The team still does not know about his life. He heads out to a gay bar called Thunder Dong, and Trent follows him and asks the bartender. It's it, it spelled like it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, at that point, Colin's worried that people might know who he is, doesn't want to be seen. Yeah. So he asks the bartender, do you know who he is? And uh, sure doesn't. Bartender says, you can be anyone you want to be. Damn right. Uh, Trent showed up, scared Colin, called him his work colleague, and he just leaves. Uh Bartender goes, yeah, we get that a lot. <laughs> thunder dong. Sorry, did you say thunder dong? I'm I'm in the wrong place. So they, uh, yeah, they have a little moment. Dan Trent Trent stops him and 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 reaches out to him because I'm you know this is literally Colin's worst nightmare. Yeah, he will go into it later. He talks about the the different worlds or the different lives, but Trent gives him the. It's okay. Like, I already know. I've known for months. I haven't said anything to anyone. I must have good, had a good reason for that, mustn't I? And that causes Colin to accept that 
he's not in danger, but he still has a ton of questions that need to be answered, Nick, about what comes next with now the knowledge Pandora's box effectively being open for Colin as it relates to someone in his work world knowing his personal story. Well, we were curious about this, right? In, in episode three, when, you know, Trent saw him uh, and his and his boyfriend making out outside of, uh, I mean, look, they weren't really concealing themselves outside of uh, Sam's, uh, Sam's restaurant. But uh, I think just knowing Trent's character, there was never going to be like a tell all book about this. You know, he, I think, just reached out as a as a friend in this moment. And it was really cool, Brandon, to kind of see them go from this like really angsty situation to just having a handful of beers outside near the canal and Trent making Colin feel even more at home by telling him his story, how he came out to his wife, how they have a kid, how his situation is so different than Colin's. Uh, and you know, he, he hits him with a really kind of interesting question. Yeah, he said, my point is it was really difficult to hold on to that secret, but I'm not a professional athlete. How do you do it? And uh, he has to give the explanation that, I mean, it's definitely in professional sports right now, but they had to just, I think, kind of walk everyone through it, Nick. Uh, it's, I think, what a lot of us have assumed. Um, I'd be interested if they were able to talk to anybody. There have been a handful of players in soccer between America and in Europe and around the world that have come out as gay. Um, but they, they kind of let Colin walk through how he handles it as best he can. Yeah, it was a beautiful, it was the moment of the, the whole episode, I think for, for many people. And, uh, Colin said, uh, you know, he, he doesn't think the team is going to overreact, but then the club brought in Dr. Sharon. She helped me realize that I have an ache, uh, an ache for both of my lives, personal and professional to be one life. I don't want to be a spokesperson. I don't want a bunch of apologies. All I want is when we win a match to be able to kiss my fellows the same way the guys get to kiss their girls. And I know we can't fix every ache inside of us, but I shouldn't have to pretend like it's not there either. And I think that Dan speaks to the loneliness that a lot of, of gay athletes feel who don't necessarily feel welcome in their own locker rooms, that they have to hide a part of themselves to fit in. Yeah, I think we should specify it's typically a male uh, a stigma for men um, in athletic Truth, professions yeah. because, you know, we are all Chelsea supporters. We watch the Chelsea women's team play. There are uh, multiple uh, relationships that have happened on that team between uh, players who play for the Chelsea women's team and uh, across uh, women's sport. So this is just obviously a different perspective on it, but it's one where uh, it is not as acceptable uh still uh even though i think broader world views have changed and become more tolerant and accepting uh it's still sport at least on the men's side uh has lagged behind the women's for the acceptance of kind of uh same-sex attraction and it was it was cool to see them get to like go out to the club and have a night and like not feel like they were judged and you know it had to be freeing for them i don't know how else to say it all right, well, we're going to take a quick ad break when we get back. we got to go to the team. My word, have we been saving this one. So thank you to the sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right, team, back at the team hotel. They are looking for something to do. Isaac, being a benevolent captain, begins taking a range of suggestions from seeing one tulip to going to a live sex show. It's absolute chaos and signifies where the team is at right now. Uh, not in sync, not pulling in the same direction, and pretty damn confused. Uh, how does it go, Nick? 
Well, they go through a bunch, and we we're not going to quote every quote that happens here because there's too sure much. Not. Too much. We'd be here for another four hours. But Isaac says, "Yo, Trent, what should we do?" Trent's just like hanging out with the team all the time now, just chilling. And Trent says, "Ooh, well, the city has a wonderful museum culture. In fact, tonight is known is what's known as Museum Nacht, where they stay open till quite late." The team kind of mumbles, and then Colin goes, "Oh, I didn't come to Amsterdam to learn things." Well, but Colin, you will learn a bunch of things. You, you, you little, you little lamb, you. Um, and I mean, this is just—it's chaos. I mean, they argue about what to do. Danny at this point suggests the team splits up. Dan Isaac immediately overrules him as captain. He's trying to do what Ted would do, right? Stay together and do something by unanimous consent. And he's trying to build up the team to do a little thing. I thought that was a pretty, uh, that's pretty big growth moment. Well, if it's not happening on the pitch, it definitely is something that they're trying to have happen off the pitch. Because when you're getting beaten 5-0 in a friendly competition... It's not where like, you want to be. That, that, is not a, that usually is not indicate a very friendly friendly. So not surprising that Isaac, after getting some napkins, because he wants to do a little bit of Survivor style and uh, you know count the vote, figure out who's going to be the winner here... Uh, they end up getting a nine to nine deadlock plus one, uh, you know, third party candidate in the tulip, and it was sex show and private party all coming down to it, Brandon. And uh, you know, Danny, uh, you know, Danny got questioned about the tulip vote. <laughs> well, yeah, because he was trying to play it off like it wasn't him, and Isaac's like, "Look, you you wrote it in Spanish," and he goes, "Someone wrote it in Spanish, yes." <laughs> He, I love the, and I think someone picked Tulip, yes, but who? <laughs> yeah, he's not going to out himself. There's no way. That's not what he was going for, uh, which obviously made it fun because um, it was the most random of all things. And he seemed like he was up for it, too. I thought he wanted to kind of go out and go, but he was looking for the cultural angle. You can respect that. We can appreciate that. Um, so anyways, the, the waitresses, they they absolutely ruined the sexual idea. Jan Moss's request, uh, Van Dam relents. They are going, but they got another problem. They don't even know what they can eat. This is the, if, you, if you're a New Girl fan, there's an episode in season five uh, where Nick and Winston can't decide anything. This was this episode, part of this episode for me. It was absolutely hilarious. It was overwhelming. There was so much happening, so much shouting, so much all this like stuff happening. The waitresses were killer. And in these episodes, that credit to them, they were absolutely fantastic. And then they keep arguing. You know, we see them at the kind of the end of this episode about what to do. Sam, after Isaac goes on this huge kind of Shakespearean roar, uh, Sam writes a note, passes it around the entire team, gets it to Isaac. And what is it, Dan? What are they going to do? Oh, man. Uh, well, I mean, they, uh, they're going to do a pillow fight. I don't know. There's a fun way to say that. Like I was trying to come up with something more clever than that, like a uh, you know a, a joust with uh, you know bags of goose feathers. But uh, it's not as uh, it's a pillow fight. Look, <laughs> unlim fight. unlimited ammunition at a hotel. By the way, <laughs> almost, almost. The montage is so much fun. It is absolutely hilarious. I wonder what the cleanup looked like after that. Because my God, yeah, just be feathers painful, everywhere. painful. Yeah. Um, it was it was a fun way to end it, uh, but the journeys do not stop there. Uh, Higgins and Will 
the just the two people you would absolutely expect to be tearing it up in Amsterdam, uh, specifically the red light district. Um, they will look super nervous and ask Higgins if everything is all right at home because of this. This is odd for a happily married man to do, which again it is. But Higgins is completely oblivious. He is solely focused uh, that he wants to go there to pay tribute to one of his favorite artists, Chet Baker, who died in the red light district. He doesn't care, Nick, about the window shopping. You might one might say. I mean, I wouldn't say, but one one might say. Uh, he says his name is Chet Baker, an American gifted trumpeter, unique singer, and heroin addict. He was tortured by demons, but they didn't stop him from making beautiful music, reminiscent of Van Gogh in the earlier scene with Ted, right? He's what got me into jazz in the first place, you know? So you hear this story and you think there's nothing more punk rock than that. And it was kind of a wholesome moment. Like Higgins, of course, is not going to go shopping in the red light district like you would assume. And so they go to the jazz club, Dan, and they're taking in the music, and it's awesome. Well, I would say, too, Will's, like, nervous the whole time. Like, he thinks he's going to get laid. I mean, Will Will <laughs> well, knows what the red light district the night is. The that Will becomes a man. <laughs> he, yeah, exactly. Like, he's he's nervous, and he's, he's looking around. <laughs> he's, he's just taking in what's happening. He's a young 25. That is true. Uh, but, yeah, so anyways, they're at the club. Uh, you know, Will's looking around. And uh, you could say that Higgins was immersed. Yeah, this was reminiscent of Higgins post-firing without the beard. <laughs> Just how, how in-depth he was to uh, slap in the bass a little bit there. And, uh, you know, it's like when someone's like air drumming or air guitaring. And, uh, yeah, he was, uh, he was air basing. Air basing. Higgins with a great quote says, Thank you for doing this, Will. One pig- pilgrim alone is merely a zealot, but two pilgrims together, that's a pilgrimage. So, uh, man, just, just brings a tear to your eye. Absolutely believes it. Uh, Will is overcome with the band. Higgins is playing upright air bass. The band CM during a break. Invite him up to play. Good for Will pushing him up there. Absolutely making sure he gets involved. Yeah. Uh, it's the season three version of Rebecca's uh, Let It Go moment from season one. Uh, Higgins crushes Let's Get Lost. And then uh, Will. <laughs> then, then what happens? Well, just wanted to see if he's interested in a casual threesome. Just a casual one, you know? I, sorry, I'm assuming it's casual. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I don't think he'll be dating them past past that moment. But, uh, hey, but yeah. You never know. Could have been formal. Know. All right. Uh, well, the, we finally wrap all this adventure stuff up. The next morning, Will is packing up the bus for departure and is telling his mom about the epic night when Beard shows up after a wild night out himself. It's hard to describe what really all is going on here because he's fluent in Dutch. Uh, but don't tell Jan. Uh, Beard heads back to chat with Ted, who is still busy writing tactics, Dan. He's absolutely having a Rain Man moment. Can't get the ideas to stop. It's flowing. Yeah, it's, uh, and Beard apologizes, saying, sorry about last night. Ted, with the, no, no, that's okay. I'm sorry. You know, I shouldn't have let you wander around there alone. That beautiful, uh, a head full of tea, uh, you know. And Beard said, uh, good thing that it was uh, Dutch Batch. And um, you think it's like saying it incorrectly. And they're like, wait a minute, like a Dutch Batch? Oh, okay, like like it's not good, whatever uh, substance that they were imbibing on. And then Ted learns uh, from Kenneth, uh, from Beard, uh, from Kenneth, that it is not a good batch. It was not something that was going to send you on a trip, which Nick stuns Ted to his core. He wasn't high the entire time. He was just mentally freed up. It was the 
it, it was Michael's secret stuff from Space Jam, where it was just the water, you know? And, uh, you know, he's been writing all these damn tactics for, for 12 straight hours. He's, he's ready to go. He wants to show Beard his tactics board. And, and Brandon, uh, what ensues is, is pretty damn great. Yeah, he explains the triangles and everything was to go. Uh, talks about how it's going to go from position to position until positions. They don't really exist anymore. It's fast, fluid, and free. And Beard goes, wow, did you come up with this yourself? He goes, yeah. Beard's like, congrats. You should call it total football. Ooh, I like that. Which was invented right here in Holland in the 70s. Hmm. Ted's like, you think we should try it? Beard, yes, I do. It's, you know, it's it's an acknowledgement from Beard in that moment who is wearing um, a, a great costume. Uh, there's a trivia question about it later. Um, just he looks at Ted like he's back in the game a little bit like he he's giving Beard something to react to instead of Beard always having to say, like, hey, can we do this? Can we do this? And then Rebecca enters. And uh, and Ted's a little uh, a little worried slash miffed. Hey, boss. So 12 unanswered texts. Thirsty much. Three unhaha gifts. We good. And she says, I'm sorry, Ted. My phone is at the bottom of a canal. Ted says, is that Keats? She says, nope. <laughs> yeah. Very, very clever little line there. Oh, absolutely. Um, and then last but certainly not least, uh, Will says, we're missing two. Jamie and Roy... Ghost ride the bikes in. They are good to go. The same homeless man was there to pick up his merchandise. Uh, and uh, the team is together. They're all unified, and they feel ready to take on the world. And it, it, it concludes with an acapella version of Three Little Birds. We get a reassurance from uh, a little reassurance pat from Colin to Trent. Uh, Will's playing upright bass. It's just vibes, absolute vibes in the vibes. bus. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the credits rolled and it was very clear, like this, this love letter has been concluded to the city of Amsterdam. Uh, very, very cool episode. Didn't even know what to think about it the first time I watched it. I had to watch it three times to kind of fully understand what they were going for here. And, uh, yeah. Wow. Hell of a thing. Well, we'll try to wrap it up with the main theme here. Lost and found every little thing is going to be all right. All right. After a long, strange trip for our characters, it appears that the team is finally out of Season 2's Dark Forest. This episode was a helpful reminder that sometimes you have to get lost to find yourself, whether that is by falling into a canal, hosting a pillow fight, getting high, a la Ma I, a.k.a., as you said earlier, Michael's, se Michael's secret stuff from Space Jam, the good halftime pep talk, or finding a new ally, this episode proves that growth happens outside of your comfort zone. So, gentlemen, uh, we're not done. There are questions, though. Again, these long ones, Dan, leave us with more questions than answers. Question one, Brandon's favorite topic. No. Ted Becca. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's still not on, baby. Not his favorite topic. It's happening. Maybe for one person, but clearly not the other. Door closed. <sighs> Anyways. I don't think... The ultimate happiness for either of them is necessarily with each other. Like, I just, you know, based upon where their path lines are going, I, and I look, this might be the absolute, like, biggest feints to, uh, you know, throw a little left and uh, make it so I'm not anticipating the right hook coming in to smash me in the face of Ted Becca absolutely being the endgame strategy. I just, uh, little question marks here, Nick. Little question marks now. 
It's absolutely happening. There's no doubt in my mind. Uh, they what keep about missing each other? Eventually, they won't. Yeah. What about is Ted ready to be more than a hype guy? Right. Obviously, he's got a notebook full of ideas. Hopefully, he's not like the water boy coach and needs that notebook to be successful. See if the players buy into it. What about the team? Do they finally trust each other? And is Roy ready to value himself? Oh, man, what a glow up, Roy. You can do a big guy. Boy, Rebecca really hit him in this one. That was a uh, tough thing to hear about oneself. Uh, but yeah, all these things are, are still at play, right? Tons of season left. But I think my initial instinct after watching this episode is that this season will not be the end. Well, we got Crown Anchor Pub trivia from you, Nick. Weird questions and observations. Um, thank gosh you only found five. Yeah, these are all very... <laughs> Uh, very, uh, very themed. Um, so, uh, look, we've already told you the answer, but what does Chazelig mean? You got to really put your, your throat into that one. Uh, so that's question one, all around Chazelig. Uh, question two, who is Jan Moss's famous cousin? Just a hell of a flex from old Jan Moss there. That's, that's pretty great. Question three, what costume was Beard wearing in this episode when he gets back onto the bus? It's a very specific uh, homage to a very famous artist. Uh, question number four. What is the origin of the word Amsterdam? Dan and I learned this on a canal tour. That was pretty great. And then number five. Who invented total football? This, yeah. These are all great questions for this episode. Very, very good. At Pod Underdogs, if you want to let us know if you got it. Otherwise, there will be uh, some of it in the app if you're listening on Spotify. Uh, just kind of scroll up in the episode. It'll be down there. Q&A. Uh, winner, winner, football dinner. Who won the episode? Nick can't decide. Nick, are you, or I'm sorry, Dan, are you giving the final verdict on this one? I'm okay with what we discussed beforehand. I, I would be okay with it just because it, starts to make things a little bit more interesting as we go through the remainder of the season. Like, I, you know, six episodes left after this, you know, seven through 12. So, you know, it'd be nice to have, you know, some competition here. I don't, I don't love a runaway. I don't love a runaway story. Well, Nick tried to give out participation awards to damn near everybody, Ted, Jamie, and Rebecca, but Dan is casting Ted. Nick, you're going to have to deal with it. No, I, I think we're going give to give three awards out this week. I think all three are worthy winners in, in our eyes. And I know that breaks our tradition of, of not flipping too much. But in this episode of all episodes, it only seems right that these three characters get their due to me. So it's a draw that feels like a win. I don't know. Can we all, can we all just be nice and, uh, and have a little vibes on this show? Some Hazelic. Can we do that, Brandon? A little hazelling, you know? See, it's not really our style, but that would put Rebecca and Ted at two at the top. Uh, don't forget Nate, Jamie, Rupert, and Zava all have one as well. So I'm excited for the Zava. I think Zava's coming back, coming back guys. I'm ready for it. I think Zava's done. He, he's, he's got a chance. But uh, look, that is it for, for this episode of The Underdogs. Please connect with us. We've been saying all episode at Pod Underdogs. A lot of good content there. It's uh, Nick's burner account. So if you want to see what he's up to, a little peek behind the, the curtain there. Uh, we'll continue to chat there. But if you'd be so kind, take those 15 seconds to leave us a five-star rating review. It literally helps us be found by other lasso heads such as yourself. It means the world to us. But hey, don't worry. We're only halfway done with season three. Halfway. So we'll see you back on the next episode of Ted Lasso.